We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dort. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and brought to you today by betonline.ag. I'm your host, Jacob. I've got Taylor along with me today. I've got a funny tweet to read to kick off my segment here on the Uncontested. Is it about injecting bleach in your body to kill the coronavirus? <laughs> I honestly, I probably should have read the tweet off to you that I or, or played the video that I played to you before the podcast. However, it is not due to oh. the incompetence of our uh, of our government. However, <laughs> uh, the NFL draft is going on. That is something that you and I also talked about before the podcast, Jacob. This and is true. It's a it's apparently, and I would agree with this because I like to follow college football and even NFL to an extent, much less than the NBA. But this is supposed to be a very um, wide receiver heavy draft, and so because of that, it seems like a lot of teams aren't taking wide receivers early. It's been a lot of uh, players of other positions, and so Tyron Matthew, our our very own Honey Badger for the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champions, the reigning Super Bowl champions, I may add, said. 
They bet not let none of them wide receivers fall to Mahomes. And I cannot agree more. Imagine C.D. Lamb, which won't happen. But imagine C.D. Lamb on Kansas City. Good old disc sheep to Kansas City. I'm into it. Mahomes throwing bombs. I'm into it. I'm not an NFL guy at all. (laughs) If you've been a longtime listener of our podcast, you know this. Um, I'm just, I'm not an NFL guy. I'm a college football guy and I am a very obviously an NBA guy. So another, Um, something else that you and I were talking about before we start recording is our very own Shams of Yahoo, uh, dropping NFL bombs. You mean of the athletic? Or sorry. Sorry. He used to be. Yep. Um, yeah, true. Good point. He's definitely with the athletic and stadium now. I knew that, but I'm trying to read multitask. But anyways, he, he dropped another, um, another, whatever you want to call it, Twitter bomb. Quarantine activities. The 49ers drafting South Carolina's Javon Kinlaw with the number 14 pick in the NFL draft. I love how he's just dropping NFL draft bombs before the picks even are announced. Hey, ESPN can't get pissed off at him. Exactly. The NBA can't get pissed off at him. He doesn't cover their league. Good point. That's funny. That's funny. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, I'm into it. So I'm, I'm not a big NFL guy, but, dude, I need, I need something. So uh, the NFL draft it is. Right, that's what I got. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm sticking to. So uh, hopefully we get more uh, sports as the country slowly starts to open up. Uh, I know maybe it's still a a long shot and a pipe dream or something. I mean, I don't really know. I'm just hoping that we get an end of the NBA basketball season. Agreed. Uh, Speaking of I'm, which, did you see the or see any of the um, segments or listen to any of the segments of Chris Paul's? Uh, I guess you call it a video conference that he did with uh, I, I've, NBA I've reporters. heard about pieces of it, but I haven't like physically listened to it. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I don't think I have either. But just seeing what Royce put out, um, Andrew Schlecht, and just trying to think who else. Um, Eric Horn did an, an article on The Athletic, and it, it was really interesting. It seems like you know Chris Paul was super candid and honest just saying <laughs> kind of what we have been saying, like, you know, I wish I had something to tell you guys, but I don't. Yeah. Um, but we want to play as NBA players. And then something else that stood out to me was that, you know, it's, it's going to take a little while for us to gear up and be ready to play full speed again. Like we're going to need three weeks to a month to get ready. So I think NBA, the, the NBA and the NBA, NBA players association are going to have to factor that into, um, you know, into this the overall time decision. Of, yeah, right. Exactly. So, so Taylor, let me ask you this then. Let's say the the players say they need three weeks, yep. that they're going to have to have three full weeks, 21 days of getting back in shape and practicing before they're ready to resume the season. Uh, what is the the very last day you think that they would be willing to, to re-up the season before just calling this season a wash and moving on to next year? Oh, man, that's tough. Like the like, very last day that we'd be, they, they'd be willing to kick the season off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're already factoring in the, the three to four weeks it would take for prep. I'd say like early August, maybe that the end of the first week of August. Um, and then if that were the case, you still would have, you know, I, I think if that were to happen, you probably would have like the, you'd probably jump directly into the playoffs. They'd probably be short in playoffs, either three game series or maybe and or one or the other, maybe both, that you would also have um, like the top four seeds of each conference at that point. And that's kind of not worst case scenario because obviously worst case scenario is not playing at all. Yeah. But that's probably the next step 
down. I um, mean, my my ideal scenario is that they play five or six regular season games, like two weeks of regular season games, and then go into the playoffs and do first and second round best of five, right? And then conference finals and finals best of seven. Um, after that, though, I'm kind of interested in the idea of letting like eight and nine have play-ins. I love and that then, idea. And then it's more basketball like, for us, you know? Yeah, doing like uh, after that, maybe round one is best of three, which would be just absurd. Um, and then round two is best of five, then the last two rounds are best of seven or something. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If, if, if you want to restart the league on July 1st, that means these guys have to be in the gym getting their practice and stuff in starting exactly. that first week of June. And that means that the league would have to make a decision in May, probably early to mid-May, and that is in two weeks. Right. You know, so it's, I don't know, it feels like we have a, a little bit of a ticking clock here. And we talked about it the other day, but I just can't get the idea out of my head that maybe one of the big changes in the sports world after the pandemic here, or the epidemic, is that the NBA season uh, officially starts in in. Christmas, Christmas time yep. now, you know, because if we get the season back, that's definitely what's going to happen. You know, even if what you said is right and they start in August, well, then and, by and the again, time it's over <laughs> in September and we do the draft and then we have free agency and off season and then another training camp, they're going to start the season in December. And at that point, they're going to have to make a decision. Are we going to play a shortened season and end it like we normally do in June and then get back to our normal schedule? Or are we going to make this a new normal? Or is are we going to do a full season and the playoffs will happen, or like the the not the playoffs, but the finals will happen in like mid to late July, and then we move on and we just continue this this cycle of doing draft the in August, um, yeah, for agency and the season September. always starting right at Christmas time, you know, right, and right. Uh, maybe they use next season as kind of their guinea pig and they yeah, test it out. I definitely, you know, I definitely think that could be the case. Um, but also, like I said, you asked me like the latest date that they'd be willing to start the season. And that's what I threw out. I'm with you. I think the most likely situation and probably the mo- maybe one of the, the more optimistic situations is them starting in July, hopefully towards the beginning of the July. But like you said, that means that there's quite a bit of improvement over the next month of May. And that's still to be seen uh, with the whole pandemic. But mm-hmm. uh, regardless, I, I think that'd be a perfect situation. We get basketball again uh, beginning in July, get to watch basketball through July, early August, and then probably get NBA draft towards the end of August. We get a free agency uh, in September. And, you know, we're hopefully, you know, if all this is going on, that probably means that football is able to start as well uh, sometime around that time. And, you know, we're kind of. Um, get back to some sort of normalcy, even if there aren't fans in the stands at some yeah. of these events. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, just, just thinking about it, like we floated Keith Smith's idea of Disney world a lot on this podcast. Cause I love the idea. Right. But I do too. I mean the, the big hurdle I think for the NBA is just testing is being able to have enough tests out there that it doesn't feel like they are taking tests away from the public to test athletes who are right. just trying to play a game. But if you get, all of the players into Disney world and you don't allow their families to come with them or, or visit, which would suck for them. But I think a lot of them would be on board with it. Yeah. No, I agree. Really, really have a controlled environment there where I don't think 
there's going to be uh, much chance of infection. I mean, your your biggest chance there, if you get everybody down there, uh, players, coaches, training staff, equipment people, broadcasters, all of that, you test everybody and they're all clear and they're all clean and good to go. I mean, I think the only people you have to worry about are the people making the food. Exactly. No, right? That's a good point. And people like bringing food in. And I mean, you could even have like all of the teams, like chefs and stuff come in and, and be making the food and just stay on site and food like, you know, the, the, the meats and the vegetables and the fruits and the, the dairy and everything and the, and the, the carbs and everything get brought in like as groceries and they just cook there in the hotels. I mean, I think you could have such a controlled environment that you wouldn't really have to worry about a flare up because you would literally be inside the bubble. And then something else I saw was, I'm sure you've seen this as well, but the uh, the mayor of Las Vegas doing the interview with Anderson Cooper on oh, CNN. Oh, that woman was fucking crazy, dude. So people saw that, and I my I don't I don't want to put words into Keith's mouth or in this case on his Twitter, <laughs> but I thought it was Keith who kind of maybe quote tweeted something that somebody responded to that, and. Um, and Keith was like, all the more reason to have this played at Disney World. Yeah. Or maybe it was something that like Keith retweeted that somebody had replied with that. Uh, but regardless, I mean, it's, it's a pretty fair point. Yeah. After I don't hearing think that, Adam I Silver don't, saw right. that interview and said, let's go to Vegas. <laughs> that I sounds don't, great and If safe. we're making bets, I'm going to say that did not happen. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right, Taylor. Well, let's get this thing started. Uh, you and I... Last week, we started this five-week series that we're going to do on, on late Thursday night, um, and the, the pod drops late Thursday night, early Friday morning, where we are going back and we're looking at Oklahoma City Thunder history, and we are ranking the top five players at each position. Now, we set up some parameters when we started this. Last week, we did the centers, so if you have not listened to that one yet, I would highly encourage you to go back and check it out. Taylor and I had a blast with that one. Definitely. But our parameters here, Taylor, where we said uh, these players were only looking at what they did in Oklahoma City, right? We're not looking at what they did after they left OKC. We're not looking at what they did prior to OKC, uh, just their contributions while they were with the Thunder organization. And you and I kind of have a little bit of different criteria on how we are ranking these players. Um, I'll go over mine real quick. Uh, So we looked up every player that played power forward this week. We looked up every player that played power forward uh, according to basketball reference for the OKC Thunder. The one player we left off was Nick Collison because we put him in the centers last week. Good call. So we, we looked up all of those power forwards, and that was our pool, and then we're ranking them one through five. So how I ranked my guys, uh, I looked up everybody's stats. And I have, I have a few categories here. So I, I looked up a whole bunch of statistics and stuff. Um, and then I ranked these players um, based on five categories. So my first category is just stats. So I'm talking points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, etc. cetera. Uh, my second category is advanced stats. What I looked for in advanced stats was I looked at players' PER, their player efficiency rating, I looked at not their total offensive, defensive, and just overall win shares. 
I looked at their best season of offensive win shares in OKC, their best season of defensive win shares, and their best season of total win shares. Because on Basketball Reference, it doesn't give you an average. Instead, it just adds them all up. So I looked at each player's best offensive win share season, defensive win share season, and then total. I also looked at each player's best offensive box plus minus, defensive box plus minus, their total box plus minus, and their VORP, which is their value over replacement player. So for my first two categories, stats, advanced stats. My other three are kind of based just on my opinion. The third is going to be eye test. The fourth is going to be the culture slash locker room aspect. And then my fifth category, I didn't have a fifth category this week, or last week. This week I do. I pressured you. Yeah. boy. (laughs) Impact on the franchise. I like it. That's So I ranked all these players. I added up their their cumulative totals, averaged it out. And then obviously the person with the lowest score, the score closest to one, is number one. Uh, the, The person with the second lowest score is number two, so on and so forth, until I have a top five. Yep. Um, mine's extremely similar, uh, like you said, other than just a couple categories. So I have counting stats that I view the same, as well as advanced stats, uh, as you described. Defensive impact, um, I, I have as a category on mine. Um, and for that, you know, a lot of that is kind of eye test, one of your categories, Jacob, that you used last week. But mm-hmm. uh, take, I also take into consideration their defense rating. Like you said, their highest defense rating for whatever season they played in OKC. I compare that across the board for these other players. Um, as well as their blocks and their steals that they averaged in their time in OKC. And I also take into consideration their their highs, their career highs for their time in OKC as well. But um, again, that's probably half of the defensive impact. The other half is really eye test and just analysis. Um, you know, watching these players play, discussing them, watching them for as long as we did. And so that kind of goes into my overall defensive impact rating that I give these players. Um, I also have something similar to one or two of your categories that I call culture locker room impact. So their overall impact, not only on the culture, but the locker room as a whole that I kind of put together hand because they, they do kind of go together hand in hand. Um, and again, that's very much uh, what what I view, but also I try to, to take into consideration what I've seen um, from other Thunder fans throughout the years. And then something very similar with my fan favorite ranking, which is just a very fun, um, non statistical. I can't talk statistical based um, category. Non testicular based. <laughs> non non testicular uh, based uh, category. And that's, and so that's, that's a fun one fun. though. I like yeah, that category. Yeah. And then, like you said, take the average and um, rank them from there. Yep, uh, it makes me feel all like analytical. I know like doing the average and stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, like pushing my glasses up on my nose. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so Taylor, without further ado, let's jump into our rankings. Now, last week, Taylor, you and I basically had the exact same list, except we, I think we flip flop number three and number two. Yes. It was Nick Collison and uh, I'm trying to remember. Enos Cantor. Enos Cantor. Yep. 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 So we'll see how different we are this week. So I'll start off. With number five, I'll give you my num- my player number five, um, and then you'll give me your five, okay. and we'll flip flop back and forth. Really quick though, before you announce it, okay. I end up so last week. I, I think I mentioned this um, another little um, kind of laying the foundation before we jump into this. Last week we kind of it, it was fairly, I guess I would say it wasn't easy to rank the players the top five, but it was easy to kind of pick out the five players of all the centers who had played for OKC, and yeah. we end up having the same five, right? This one, I ended up with about six or seven. I cut the seventh almost immediately just because, um, full disclosure, it was 
uh, uh, Sabonis, and it was his rookie season, so his stats aren't going to be nearly as great as some of these others. Um, and then I ended up adding a six here, and I figured he would probably end up ranking six overall on my list, but I wanted to throw him in here just in case because of his name, and Thunder fans were probably um, picking up on, on my hints here, but regardless, I, I kept him in my list. I ended up ranking one through six, but obviously I won't go through all categories for the six one. It just justified what I originally thought, but I wasn't okay. sure, so I wanted to make sure I included him to make sure I had a proper one through five uh, ranking. Okay, well, that makes me feel like maybe our lists are going to be slightly I, different. Right, this and that, that's why I brought that I, up when you I said hope. that. Exactly. All right. Which is fun. So, with number five, fifth best power forward in Thunder history for my list, Jeremy Grant. Oh, we're already different. Yes, I love it. I love yeah. it. Um, did Grant make your list, your top he, five? He did make my list. But he's not he number five. Okay, so, number five. so let me give my argument for Grant at number five. Okay. Okay. Um, for counting stats, he ranked last for me. Um, uh, out of my top five, he really? ranked fifth in counting stats. Nine for Grant's career in OKC: nine point two points, three point nine rebounds, a little less than one assist, a little over one block, half a steal a game, fifty percent from the field, thirty-seven percent from three. Uh, but he only shot two point two threes per game. Um, yeah, but fifty-six point two percent field goal efficiency. I'm putting a lot into that, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I, I think Grant was a great, great power point, forward for this team. blocks in three seasons. And I thought that <laughs> if he would have stayed around longer, um, he would have ended up being higher on my list. Uh, other places, um, advanced stats, Grant fell at three. Okay, uh, now we're talking. Yeah, I test. I had a really hard time on I test. Uh, I ended up going fourth on I test. And looking back at it now, I kind of feel like I should have flip-flopped that. Uh, Sorry, what did you say on my test? We'll, I was looking at mine. <laughs> and we'll yeah. talk about that later. Culture slash okay. locker room. I put Jeremy Grant at fifth just yes. because of me, all the other guys. Well. Like he he just he wasn't really like a team leader or anything like that, Agreed. you know? And so, Not, and so he, he did, was never a problem. He just was yeah, never a problem. Just he wasn't, guy. Yeah. Um, like and then impact on the franchise. I also gave him a five. Again, he just, I mean, I guess impact on the franchise. You could say that the biggest impact Jeremy Grant had on this team was the fact that he came in as a very raw athlete that the Thunder gave up uh, just a couple of assets to get. And his impact on the, the franchise itself was his development, which a lot of credit to Jeremy Grant and some credit to the Thunder player development team. Uh, he, Whenever you talk about players coming to Oklahoma City and getting better, Jeremy Grant is one of like he's one of your like exhibit A or exhibit B. Right, he he is your evidence. Look at what the Oklahoma City Thunder training staff can can take a guy and mold them into. Right. Uh, so Jeremy Grant averaged out at a four point four for me, which was the lowest of uh, the 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 top five. So Grant okay. went number five for me. That's interesting. Um, he went a little higher for me, but I think there's some reasons for that, which I'll get into when we get to Jeremy. But just a, a fun aside, really quick. How fun! And again. It was the right move to move Jeremy for getting another first rounder. I mean, that's incredible. And you make that trade every time when you're in the position that Presti was um, in terms of you know him looking to start the rebuild. But can you imagine Jeremy at this uh, you know on this team that we currently have? And assuming that the season doesn't get disrupted by coronavirus, like that would be such a fun. I mean, obviously yeah. you start Gallo, 
but you have to consider starting Jeremy. I mean, you don't start him at the five, but you bring him off the bench. You play him a ton of minutes. You play super, not super small, because they're obviously very long dudes, but you play essentially small with Jeremy at the five, Gal at the four. I mean, there's so many options. That makes yeah. it really fun. Yeah. And again, though, the big thing with that trade was just the, Jeremy the Grant is, is due for a payout this True. summer. He also is due for point. a payout. So they would have tried to move him probably by deadline anyways. But um, still fun to think about just, again, like we always say, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. So, so my, who was your number five? My number five was a – and, again, this is a little skewed because this player was not with OKC very long. Um, but Taj Gibson, I'm going through um, – Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah so Taj did not make my list. I, I, I figured, he was, and he was he, close. He was right outside. And it, right, and I was gonna say he was very close to not making mine, but I had him at five. Um, actually, counting stats, he ranked sixth, very yeah. last of the six. Again, I had another player on here, and I guess I'll go ahead and start and, and say it was it's Carmelo Anthony because I wanted to see his stats with OKC. Historically, he'd be much higher on this list because if we were taking two overall careers into consideration, but um, time with OKC, Melo only played one season. Taj played a little over half a season, so. Um, but Tosh still ranks six overall in my counting stats. But defensive impact, I put him up at four uh, based off of his blocks, steals per game, um, as well as his, his defensive rating, but just the, the impact I think he had overall on that team. And we traded for Taj at that time. You know, that was Russ first the world season. And when Taj came in, that was huge. It, it gave this team another veteran presence presence not only in the locker room but also just um on the floor primarily defensively i really think you know he had a big offensive impact but having uh taj there you know he he started almost instantly and that's really what this team needed it's what russ needed it gave russ another boost i think and um was was really big for him uh, primarily on this side of the the floor so i had him four on the defensive impact advanced stats i had him fifth overall which ranks last essentially but uh, again i took mellow into consideration on this list so mellow was last um of the six but taj ranked fifth on advanced stats culture locker room impact i actually put him fourth because like i said when he came in that season having that veteran leadership for this team outside of russ i think was really a positive uh, again that was such a fun season we talked so much about it but we also talk a lot about how when katie left russ kind of took he basically took control, you know, he took, he took the wheel. And, um, I think it was good for that team to have another veteran presence come in and to kind of balance that out a little bit. I think Taj did a really good job of that. He was great in the locker room for some of those younger guys. And, um, I think he had a, I think him and Russ got along together as well. So I had him at four for my culture locker room impact and in fan favorite, he ranked last <laughs> because again, not because he was you know, had any um, issues with fans and fans had any issues with him. But like I said, he was only here for a little over half of a season. So because of that, he ended up ranking 4.8 overall average. And um, I ranked him fifth based off of that. All right. I like it. I like it. So Mellow stats uh, are Taylor, garbage with on, OKC. <laughs> on so number, my, my most memorable Taj moment. Oh, shit. CD to Dallas. Yeah, I just saw that. Sedarian Lamb. Uh or as a friend of the podcast, an awesome dude, John Ham likes to say, catches the football lamb. Catches the football. <laughs> That's what the CD stands for. Catches the football lamb uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. So I guess I got to be a Dallas Cowboys fan now because I That's love awesome. lamb. Um, all right. So, Taylor, uh, my, my most memorable Taj Gibson moment was the three-quarters court heave that went in in Portland. You remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember that. That was yeah. fun. I actually saw a replay of that not too long ago. It's a good play. It's a good play. All right, so so for number four, we'll flip-flop. You go first on number four. 
So number four, I went with a, a, a fan favorite of mine specifically because I am very sentimental when it comes to those first original um, OKC teams that came at the very beginning back in 2008. We're off again. Jeff, I like it. Jeff Green. <laughs> All right. Counting Jeff stats. Green is on my list. He is not number four. Okay. Interesting. You put him higher. So um, counting stats, I had him at five. Um, defensive impact, I had at three. Advanced stats, I had at four. Culture locker room impact, I put him all the way at three because having that veteran leadership during that time when you have baby Russ and super young KD amongst others, you know, he was um, even there, I guess, that first year or two with James Harden. I think that was uh, really big for this team and uh, just seemed like a really solid guy all around, particularly when he was playing some of his best basketball at this time. Fan favorite, I actually ranked him at three right here because of the uh, other two that we already have mentioned, Taj Gibson and Jeremy Grant. Um, and overall, he ranked 3.6. Now, for counting stats, I ranked him at fifth, and I can kind of go through those for a second. I need to scroll, though, because I was down at his advanced stats. Um, so this is also kind of a little skewed because it takes into consideration his time in Seattle. Um, 14.2 points per game is fairly solid, but you look at his reboundings, uh, his rebounds, 5.8, which isn't terrible, obviously, for, especially for, like, what he'd be a small forward probably in today's game. But so, compared to some of these other power forwards on this list, it ranked a little lower, not much. Um, and then at field goal efficiency, he was a 48.2% overall in his career with the OKC franchise. Uh, again, that includes Seattle. And that was lower than a lot of, or since some of these other players I have ranked higher. And so I took that into consideration as well. Um, 33.8 from three. That's not terrible, obviously, for a power forward. But again, there's just some of these other players that had some better shooting percentages over well, or overall. And so I that's why I have Jeff Green a little lower in terms of counting stats. Um, you look at his advanced stats, and some of this is because of the teams that he played with. Again, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook were not the Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook we think of like from the 2016, 2015, 2014 seasons, 2013 seasons, <laughs> 2012 seasons. Um, you know, they were rookies and sophomores. And yeah. so... That probably goes into a lot of his his um, his stats in terms of win shares, in terms of offensive and defensive ratings. Um, but regardless, they're still quite a bit lower. And even though I love Jeremy, or <laughs> even though I love Jeff quite a bit, I, I still had to rank some of these other players. Like I just let slipped uh, Jeremy Grant and some others. I had to rank them higher than I have Jeff Green. All right, nice. Um, yeah, Jeff Green, JG, Jeremy Grant, JG. Uh, I like it. My number four is Carmelo Anthony. Interesting. I had him sixth. Oh, oh wow, wow. Okay, I like it. Uh, so Melo, I have him third in overall stats. Sixteen uh, point. Okay, I had him fourth in counting stats. Okay, sixteen point two points a game, almost six rebounds, over one assist, about half a block, half a steal a game. Only 40% from the field, but 36% yes. from three was good at six attempts per game. Um, and again, you have to remember, like, if I was looking at Melo's career, he's probably at the top of this list. Agreed. But we're, I'm looking at his one season in Oklahoma City. His advanced stats, Taylor, oh. he was at the bottom. Oh, yeah, he was. He was at the bottom. Zero he has, warp. Zero warp. <laughs> yeah, his PER is the lowest of my top five. Yep. Um, at his offensive win shares is the lowest of the top five. Mm -hmm. His defensive win shares is second 3. lowest. Oh, wait. Yeah, wait, no, sorry. I'm off. Uh, 3.7. Yeah, 
3.7 for total win shares would put him at the lowest of my top five. Um, his box score plus minus is the lowest of my top five. And then, yeah, his VORP is the lowest. His advanced stats are ugly. Um, and to me, that kind of matches what his season in Oklahoma City was like. I test, I put him at three. I probably should have put Grant at three and Melo at four, thinking back in hindsight now. Um, but I did put Melo at three on I test. Culture slash locker room impact, I put him at four. Uh, the only person that was lower was Grant, uh, just because Grant was just, as far as we know, just a little bit non-existent. Um, but Mello was kind of the too cool for school kind of guy. I mean, I know a lot of like reporters and stuff loved Mello. Uh, we know he kind of he gives you fun quotes to write about. But like, yeah, he he talks sh- he talks shit on his way out. Um, the who me, you know, and uh, you know I ain't coming off the bench stuff. Um, just just not a great culture setter guy. Um, impact on the franchise. I gave him a three here. Uh, I, I don't think he really did anything for the franchise, but I think him agreeing to waive the no trade clause to come okay. to Oklahoma City. You're taking that, that into that, consideration. Yes, that's fair. That, I think that's pretty significant. Still, though. Okay, continue, because I want to jump in the middle when you're done. <laughs> okay, so so he ended up a 3.6 overall. Oh, my um, goodness. Jacob, I didn't think you liked Melo this much. I, Dude, I don't. <laughs> I'm just like off this. And, and again, the impact on the franchise, that's a lot less of what Melo like, actually did when he was here. And it was the the validity of the Thunder actually being able to get Melo here. Oh, right. Okay. The, kinda, the fact that, that he thinking. waived the no trade clause, what he did in New York. Yep. Is that the was a free agent on the OKC signing, essentially. Franchise. That was the biggest free agency signing that OKC's probably ever had. Um, exactly. Outside of maybe Paul Dorsey signing to uh, re-sign with OKC, which ended up 100%, not really yeah. being a reason. So, yes, that, that, I, that's a good point that I hadn't taken into consideration. And then also the Thunder being able to trade him to Atlanta um, and him agreeing to that. And then getting bought out gave us what we have this season in Dennis Schroeder. Um, and also last season as well. You know, the last two seasons, Dennis has played a solid part for us. So I think that's all worth taking into consideration. You know, counting stats, I actually had Melo at four. But from there on out, <laughs> it's all sixes. Defensive impact. And, and, and again, that kind of goes into, uh, you have to take into consideration we have different um, different categories. But yeah. defensive impact, Melo was horrendous. I, I looked at his defensive stats and it, it proved it. But just you don't even have to. I'm, I'm going to save you guys the time because it's exactly what you would think. His defensive stats are horrendous, and he was he the, pretty much defensive eye test is also pretty damn bad. Exactly. His advanced stats I also had at six uh, on my list. Culture, they were also bad. Locker room impact I put at six because I didn't like I said I didn't take into the uh, consideration the fact that he waived his no trade clause to come here, which is almost like a free agency signing, and that he also agreed to that trade for him to be bought out, which led us to get something in return for Melo. I just took into consideration his season here in the locker room. I honestly think that his and, and a lot of this, uh, what I am going off of, I kind of shape my opinion off what I've heard from guys like Royce Youngs, who kind of share similar opinions. Um, but basically, that yeah, Melo's fun to interview, and he'll give you good quotes, and he'll do some fun things on the court every once in a while. But the whole, I'm too cool for school. My name's Carmelo Anthony. I'm going to be an NBA Hall of Famer. Um, <laughs> That kind of attitude he brought into the locker room, yeah, really I'm, rubbed off. I'll on do whatever Russ I need to PG. for the team. I ain't coming off no bench. But I ain't coming out. Yeah, who me? And yeah, like exactly. we always I wish joke I had about that. that. Queued up. Who, who me? Uh, we always joke about that. But when it came down to it, that kind of was the epitome of the season. 
These guys were too yeah. cool for school. They lost against the teams that they shouldn't have. They beat some of the teams that they probably shouldn't have. When it came down to it, they were a first-round exit. And I think a lot of that was kind of the, I don't want to say Melo set the tone in the locker room, because a lot more uh, responsibility than any probably falls on Russ, falls some on Billy, um, some on Presti, etc. But because of that, I ranked him six in the locker room and a fan, fan favorite. I think people don't really like Melo all that much. Not yeah. that they hate him or despise him, but all these guys on my list, I ranked him six. So because there are different categories, I had a lot of a lot of sixes on this. That's why he ranked last of my, my Definitely. List. So, so far, Taylor, my top, my, my number five and four are Jeremy Grant, Carmelo Anthony. Yours are? Mine are, my number uh, five was Taj Gibson. My fourth was none other than Grandfather Jeff Green. All and, right. uh, Jacob, I would li- like to maybe put some bets on who your top three power forwards in Thunder history are. Oh, I uh, I mentioned to see. I think we're going to have the same one and two. Uh, obviously, our, our since our first two have been off, our number three is also going to be off. But I think but we're going to have the same one and two. Agree. Agree. So, uh, but, yeah, I'd be interested to take some bets on that. Well, speaking of bets, with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on, but you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily NFL Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. Also, I saw today on Twitter they had uh, bets that you could bet on in terms of the NFL draft that's going on as we are recording this podcast. So be sure to check out Bet Online because you have tons of things to be able to put money on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. I actually saw again another tweet from Bet Online. There's some virtual um, eating contest that Nathan is doing right now that I, I found really cool that he's doing um, in conjunction with Bet Online. So be be sure to check out their Twitter account, all their social media accounts. You can put money on a ton of a ton of different things. They're all open 24 hours a day, and they're all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. All right, Taylor, on to number three. I will go first here. My number three uh, is somebody that you've already listed. I have Jeff Green. Okay. At number three. Jeff Green got number four in stats of the top five, uh, fourth in advanced stats in top five, and fifth in eye test in the top five. It was culture and locker room and impact on the franchise, both twos, that really climbed him up the board here. Um, kind of just eked him over Mello. Um, Jeff Green, you know, never an all-star, uh, j- just an okay role player, you know, uh, went on to have a very long NBA career. But the culture in the locker room, like you mentioned before, he was around with the young guys. He was right. around with Thunder U. I mean, and that's why they they literally, his there was a nickname of what, what it was literally, it wasn't Grandfather Jeff Green, or am I making that up? Uncle Jeff or Uncle Jeff? <laughs> I keep saying grandpa. What the grandfather? Je- oh my god! Maybe That's I'm thinking of a uh, podcast. Gr- grandpa Perk. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Jeff. Um, j- just Uncle Jeff Green. The the impact he had with guys like Russ and KD and and Harden and the culture they kind of built um, as being the fun, lovable young guys. Uh, and and he, you know. The Thunder traded picks to get, or not picks, but traded players. Like the Ray Allen trade is what got Jeff Green here. 
you know, and so he came in the same night as as Kevin Durant in that draft. And so just to, to build the foundation of Oklahoma City Thunder basketball, um, he gets a, a two on culture locker room and a two on impact on the franchise. Okay. You know, not, not only uh, was his impact on the franchise big because of all those things I just mentioned, but also, you know, you follow the lineage of these things. And Jeff Green is the guy that gets traded to bring in Kendrick Perkins, right. who really changes the demeanor of this team and uh, propels them to their next phase, kind of like uh, takes them from Super Saiyan 1 to Super Saiyan 2, you know, to, to get them over the next hump. Kamehameha. Hey, uh, <laughs> I'm into it, man. Me too. So so Jeff Green got the nod at number three for me. Who is number three okay. for you? Um, that's interesting because uh, a lot of what you said is pretty spot on for what I had Jeff Green. I just had him about a spot lower in each category, uh, almost exactly. Uh, I had him five counting stats, three defensive impact, four advanced, three culture locker room impact, three fan favorite. Um, so my number three was somebody that you mentioned that I ranked a little higher. We're kind of switching places here and Jeremy Grant. I had him three overall in counting stats, two overall in defensive impact. Again, I, I took into consideration his defensive stats and then also just kind of some eye tests like one of your categories. I had him third overall, third overall in advance, which I believe off the top of my head, I think you did as well. And then, um, actually, this kind of brought him down just a little, but I had him fifth overall in culture locker room impact. Again, not because he's a bad teammate or has a bad locker room impact. He just was a go-with-the-flow, easygoing guy who didn't really um, – I, I don't think he had a huge impact on the locker room and culture while he was here in OKC. Um, and for fan favorite, I have him at four, right above Taj, because we got to see Jeremy, like you said, blossom into the player that he is today. Um, mainly, you know, he came to us from – Philly as a raw athlete, and we got to see OKC's development staff to, uh, help develop him into this um, this versatile four. Yeah, if you would have told me that first month that Jeremy Grant was here, that by the time two years from then he was going to be a thirty-seven percent three-point shooter, uh, really knock down, be able to play four and five, right? Be able to run, uh, set the screen in the in the pick and roll, defend, and then shoot short roll, five. catch and swing it to the to the opposite corner. I would have told you you were full of shit because he looked like we, we use this um, analogy quite a bit, especially in the basketball world. But deer in the headlights look when he first got here, yeah. right? Baby deer in the headlights, and um, like you said, not only on the offensive end but defensively as well. Being able to just like his like I mentioned his versatility being being able to literally guard guys you know maybe he would struggle with smaller guys like that play the two but he oh could, dude there were games where he got switched on a James Harden and probably yeah. did the best job right so two through five you know and that's incredible I, I I there's a part of me who feels like while he I expected him to be an incredible fit for Denver and I ranked them very high uh, in preseason uh, to finish in the Western Conference based off of some of those things you know being one of them being the Jeremy Grant acquisition. Um, there's a part of it that feels like he's kind of being held back there because of all the talent that they have. Um, you know, it, like I said, it'd be really interesting. Again, like like we would have wanted to see him traded because he'd be demanding a lot of money next season as a free agent. But to see him on this team, this OKC team this season, I feel like he'd be just about perfect. Although that would hinder the growth uh, that we've seen this season from Baisley, it'd be really fun to have him and Gallo have that four. Yep, I'm with you. All right, Taylor, we're up to the top two, and unless you have something drastic in the bag right now. Mike Muscala at number two. 
Unless you have something drastic in the bag. We're probably going to be gonna back on the same page. <laughs> the same top two. My guess is that we're going to be in the same order. So, for number two, Taylor, I'm going to count us down. Three, two, one. And then let's both say who we had at number two. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. Gallo. Gallo. Yes. Beautiful. Perfect. Beautiful. All right. So let's talk about Gallo for a little bit. For counting stats, he's number one. I have him as one. We'll probably have something fairly close across the board. Yeah. Um, counting stats is one. I mean, his his stats are absolutely, this sounds weird to say when um, describing these, but beautiful. <laughs> I yeah. mean, 19.2 points, 5.5 rebounds, right. two assists, uh, really no blocks at all, over half a steal, 44% from the field, 41% from three on seven Ooh. and a half temps a game. Ooh, crazy. He's getting them up. He, he's get getting up about one and a half more threes per game than Melo did. That's he's crazy. He's scoring three more points than Melo. Um, he is, what, the third best rebounder um just as far as averages he is by far the best assister uh of these power forwards uh definitely not in blocks but he's right at the top with steals this and is then, one of my favorite accounting stats to look at and i'm pretty sure i called it an advanced stat at the very beginning of uh last week's top five podcast but uh field goal efficiency 54.9 percent. that's absurd he's so good man he is so good um the best for, of his career actually yeah for advanced stats, I had him at two. I had him as at two as well. Um, nice. I had our number one, who we both share, um, above him in advance. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Gallo does, as far as all the power forwards, he's got the best PER at 19.4. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got the second best offensive one share season. Um, he has the lowest defensive one share season. I found that interesting, and I kind of bumped yep. him there because of that. The second lowest overall win shares, uh, by far the best offensive box plus minus. Um, not a very good defensive box plus minus, but he's the top in overall box plus minus, uh, and he's second overall in VORP. Yep. So we so have his, very similar his, uh, ranking and categories. Like you said, defensive impact because of those stats you threw out. Um, I also again I took in his steals and uh, blocks per game into consideration. Have him at five defensive impact. Now, this is kind of interesting. Uh, amongst all these guys, and again, I probably should have put, again, in hindsight, I probably should have put Jeff Green a bump above him in this aspect, in this category, but I have him at two, culture, locker room impact, and I think a lot of that is probably due to recency bias. Yeah, I have bias. him at three there, so okay. we're, we're pretty much on the same page. Um, just because people the team loves gallo he's been great this season he's tweeting out like these homemade highlight <laughs> and videos and yeah. recaps and images and he's having a blast the players love him and there's been a couple of interviews that different players have done uh, chris Paul's i was just one about them, to say this yeah about how um you know one of the most under, I, I don't know if this is what they said verbatim you might have those quotes uh memorized better than i do jacob but basically saying that he's one of the most underrated leaders in this locker room yeah, and I mean, one that comes to my mind was Nerlens Noel and saying Nerlens, this was, this that was is his favorite yep. season that he's ever played in the league. They have great leaders like Chris, like Gallo, like Steve. Thank you. you know, I'm glad you yep, and, brought yeah. that one up. Um, so yeah, I have him at third on culture slash locker room, and then I had him fourth on impact on the franchise. Okay, so my fan favorite, I actually have him at two. And again, oh, wow. that's not just because of me. I think, that's, uh, I, I, think I took the... 
um, recency bias into consideration here. I think a lot of fans right now would probably rank him higher than they may three seasons from now, just because of the fun season that we're having and the huge role and impact that Gallo's having both on and off the court. Yep, I'm with you. Gallo is a very deserving number two, uh, even if uh, all signs are pointing to him only spending one season in Oklahoma City. Uh, it was a, a very, season, very productive so season. Sad. Uh, <laughs> my favorite thing about Danilo Gallinari, two things. Number one, um, like you say with every white basketball player, he's got sneaky athleticism. <laughs> but you're right. You're exactly right. There's times that he throws down dunks, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know Gallo could – that reverse that he threw down that one day, I was like – that's like a. I top, didn't know he could do that. That's easily a top ten. I, the Thunder did like that that bracket of top plays for the season so far um, yeah. during this quarantine, and that hands down has to be a top, maybe even top actually, five. Actually, there's three things I love about Gallo. Number one, the sneaky athleticism. Number two, my man's is yoked. Fair. You see those pictures of him like over during All-Star, the All Star break, shredded dude. That dude bench presses a billion pounds. That chest is enormous. <laughs> Needs a bra. <laughs> and then also, I just love the the sound uh, from that song that the peak plays after he scores Daddy the bucket. Danilo Gallinari. Gallinari. So good. So good. Uh, so, yes, Gallo is a very well-deserving number two. And even if it's one season in Oklahoma City, uh, a very, very productive season, uh, both for him and the team. And he's bought uh, in. I think that's yeah. Not, yeah he, he's bought into it. He wasn't disgruntled when he I came mean, here. He, he wasn't fun. willing to. The the trade was on the table, ready to go to Miami. All he had to do was accept the extension, and he didn't want to do it. And part of that was because of how much he enjoyed being here. Exactly. So really good stuff. So then, Taylor, our number one best power forward in Oklahoma City Thunder history. Air Congo. We, Air Congo, Serge Ibaka, Mafuzzi. I miss him. Yep. I miss, uh, I miss Prime him. I don't really want him on this team right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So counting stats, I had Ibaka at two. Me right too. Right behind Gallo. Me as well. Uh, almost 12 points per game in his Thunder career, seven and a half rebounds, over half an assist, two and a half blocks a game. I know. Over like, what was it, five seasons, six seasons? So that was like just almost instantly and it maybe shouldn't have but that compared again with the eye test and my probably skewed memories of early thunder basketball had me rank him one overall in defensive impact even if his yeah and i'm sure it's a distant slow. it's a distant one right it's right. a very distant one yeah i mean if you look at his career blocks and all of his other stops which is just two i guess orlando and toronto in those two uh, sites, he's averaged 1.1 blocks per game. Yeah. In Oklahoma City for six seasons, he averaged 2.5. That's wild. Yep. Uh, wasn't a big steal guy, less than half a steal a game. That would rank him the lowest of the top five. Uh, but field goals, 52%. That's the leading field goal percentage shooter. Um, he was, people forget, he was deadly in the pick and pop mid range game. I was about to say that mid range. Yeah, so, I mean, okay. getting to his free throw stats, line I'm extended. Excited. You were just cooked. Remember the playoff game against the Spurs where yes. he went eleven for eleven. That's my favorite. If somebody asked me to show them prime surge in OKC, I would show them highlights from that series. Yeah. Now, part of me has to knock Surge a little bit. I love the dude. I love the time he had in Oklahoma City. But the man did not understand the concept of a pump fake. <laughs> dude, just his basketball IQ. He he was a robot out there. Yes. He knew catch ball, shoot, shoot. ball. 
Man Lock close. Ball. Give ball to Kevin. <laughs> Get ball back. Shoot ball. Block ball. <laughs> Shoot ball. Give ball to Russell. That's like that's all he knew. Like he was programmed. Yep. Very binary. It was either shoot or hand it back to the guy who gave it to you. He was not a ball mover <laughs> at right? all, and he certainly. We talked some about bad how Jeremy of, uh, issues. Yeah, we talked about that. how Jeremy Grant developed that ability to like run the pick and roll and catch and swing it back to that short corner. No chance in hell Abaca was doing that in Oklahoma City. True, he was no either going to shoot that mid range or he was going to pass it back to ever for it everything to him. that Nick Collison had. Serge, they were so polar opposite players. That's so true. Nick, old, white, not athletic, <laughs> super intelligent on the basketball court. Ibaka, young, black, jumps out the freaking gym, insane athlete, uh, is not very smart on the offensive side. Now, the defensive side, Serge, was incredible. True. And but his other presence. Than the, other than the pump fakes, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> that his his defensive presence. Another aspect of Serge's game he misses the first two games of the Western Conference Finals. That's one of my Comes favorites. back on like one leg. Because he had that And Tony injury. Parker and Manu Ginobili refused to shoot anything in the lane. Exactly. They were just scared, so scared of him. Um, his defensive impact just by his presence. Just absolutely mammoth for this team. I, yeah, I agreed. And that's why I have him one there. Um, like you said. Actually, I don't even know if we've gone over this. His advanced stats. Number one, absolutely wild. Yeah, I had him. At, I was shocked. I didn't really realize. I mean, I knew they'd be high going into this. I kind of expected to just off the top of my head. But like you look at some of these um, offensive win shares, his highest was 1.4 in 2011, 2012. Uh, his VORP. Wait, yeah, I'm on search. Okay, I want to make sure. His highest. His offensive win shares is the highest. Is, is even higher than Gallo. Which is crazy. Yeah, at yeah. 1.4. Yeah, 1.4, uh, 2011, 2012. But his PER is what like really stood out to me. Um, 18.9, 2011, 2012. Yeah. Which is just absurd. So he, uh, yeah. Still it, telling you, if they started shooting, surge at center that year, they might have a title. Agree. True shooting percentage, 55.8. Like just That's some absurd wild. stats. Yeah. Um, and, and he didn't really become more of a three-point shooter until he left OKC. I mean, he did shoot 36% from three, which is really good. That's the same Carmelo shot. Uh, but Serge put up one attempt a game on average. That's crazy. Right, whereas Melo put up six. And we didn't like it when he shot him. Like, I remember every time he would shoot that one three a game. Oh, and like, and it was such a different game back then. Like, right. I remember my dad just being that stereotypical, like, redneck fan. <laughs> Getting down in the paint and dunk the basketball. Right. I'm like, we're spacing. Bang this is down good. low. <laughs> no, we he get physical. I'm like, this isn't fucking WWE, Dad. And then he played like, Draymond we, Green. <laughs> yeah, we, we need him to space out. Um, culture slash locker room, I put him at number one. I had him at one as well. And then fan favorite, I also had him as one. Yep, and then impact for me, impact on the franchise, number one. Perfect. Um, yep, very similar. Th- th- this dude helped kind of modernize that position for OKC. Surge doesn't get the opportunity to be Surge until they trade away Jeff Green. Right. Part of that Jeff Green trade, number one, it brought them in a true center. Number two, it opened up playing time for a guy that they thought was going to be really good. I was going to say they had the confidence in Surge to make that trade. That's a good point. Yep, exactly. And so uh, just his impact on the franchise as far as – I mean, he was – he was a clear number – well, after Harden left, he was number three. While Harden was there, he was a clear number four, but by far the best defensive player they had 
on teams that continually made deep Western Conference finals and NBA finals runs. Right. He was pivotal uh, in, in all those series. He was pivotal guarding Tim Duncan. Uh, he was pivotal guarding guys like Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol. Um, just his overall impact on what he did for the Oklahoma City Thunder cannot be understated. He is one of uh, really the the founders. One of the if you had to make a Mount Rushmore of OKC Thunder players, like he yes, has an argument. Eddie, Nick, and then yeah, like here are you putting yeah, he has an argument to be on there. You know, yep. he really really does, and so it's. To me, Serge Ibaka at one was was a pretty easy choice. Uh, Serge was a 1.2 overall in my rankings. The next closest me guy too. was a 2.4. That's four. funny. I had him at 1.2 as well. Yeah, he was a 1.2, and then Gallo was a 2.4. I had Gallo, so he, I had Gallo at 2.4 also. That's really nice. funny. So we were super – not super. We were fairly different up until the last two, and we were literally yeah. spot on. Yeah. So uh, good stuff, though. Good stuff, yeah. So uh, overall, just to let our listeners know one more time, my list – uh, from five down to one for best power forwards in Thunder history. I had Jeremy Grant at five, Melo at four, Jeff Green at three, Danilo Gallinari at two, Serge Ibaka at one. Taylor, your list was? So my five, I had Tosh Gibson. Um, number four, I had Uncle Jeff Green, not Grandfather Jeff Green. <laughs> that was kind of like um, what did Kamir say on Tuesday spot? Uh, Josh uh, Collins. So John Collins. Josh Collins, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're on a roll so far during this quarantine so five i had taj four i had jeff green three i had jeremy grant two i had gallo and one i had surge beautiful um so after you guys listen to this podcast please either tweet at the pod at the underscore uncontested holler at taylor individually at taylor (laughs) underscore p15 or myself at jacob niffin let us know what you think of our top five agree for power forwards and again if you haven't listened to the centers one yet should go back and listen to that one too. That one was fun. Taylor, seven days from now, we'll do some small forwards. I'm excited. This has been a really fun I, segment. Yeah, I feel like small forwards, we're going to have a very clear cut one and two, and then a grand canyon between two and three. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So three, four, five is going to be the interesting one for me next week. Agreed. That'll be I'm, fun. Uh, I'm pretty excited for it. I don't know if I'm going to put Josh Hustis at one or two, though. <laughs> I'm trying to make a decision. I don't I'm, know. I'm, I mean, Kyle Singler. Oh God, damn! How did I forget? How did I forget the goat? And then the, you Ugh. know, occasionally Dion would slide into some small forward. Yeah, we minutes. got Ferg at the three. <laughs> yeah, Ferg. Yeah, there you we go. Got some Terrence, Terrence, some three Ferg. Terrence Ferguson. Um, I mean, do we even need to do shooting guards? Uh, one through five is just all going to be Dion. Dion. <laughs> so, oh, um, Dion Shay, Dion Shay, Dion Shay. There you go. There you go. I like that. Um, hey, thank you guys so much for checking out the podcast. Uh, we hope you're enjoying this series. Again, go back and listen to the top five centers. We did that last week. Uh, top five power forwards, obviously, today. Next week, we'll do small forwards, and we'll continue on. We will be back with you again uh, Sunday night. We're going to record a podcast Sunday afternoon before the Last Dance documentary, and then we will have it up for you late Sunday night, early Monday morning, so be on the lookout for that. And then next Wednesday, we'll do our next redraft And then next Friday, Taylor and I, again, will have top five small forwards in Thunder history for you. You guys, enjoy the nice weather out there. Stay safe. Please stay healthy. And we will talk to you all soon. Enjoy your weekend. And as always, Thunder Up. Thunder Up. Also, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan now because they have CD Lamb. CD.
My chief's still better though. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.